Win stacks of cash by entering the 150K Crack the Code giveaway. Brought to you by your local paper, now through July 14th. Look for the code on page A2. Then visit 150kgiveaway.com and submit your entry. You could win the grand prize of $100,000. Grab the paper every day. Get the code on page 2A and improve your chances to win tons of weekly cash prizes. Visit 150kgiveaway.com for details. Questions with answers that only raise more questions are the bane of reporters everywhere. Maybe that's why we keep coming back to them. What's it like to have Wycliffe Jean write a song about your soon-to-fail condo hotel? Why did Donald Trump misremember a business partner? Plus, we tackle the mystery of Rachel and Felix, a really odd couple. I'm Pat Beale, and this is Margarita Man, the second of our two-part podcast on Felix Sater, which is itself the sixth installment of our Dancing Oligarchs podcast series. So many oligarchs, so little time. And that is Palm Beach Post columnist Frank Cherubino, who is back with his accordion to add, I don't even know whatever he wants at this point. Think of me as a dollop of sour cream on your borscht, Pat. You know, Frank, if it's all the same to you, I don't think I will think that at all. Just uh, squeeze the keys, please. These are tales of interesting, sometimes in the case of Felix, very interesting. Russians, people tied to Russians or Russian money, people who immigrated from Russia or the USSR, all with one thing in common. Uh, Great dancers. They all have a Florida connection with the 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Oh, I was hoping for some excuse to play the cha-cha. This is not to say they conspired with Trump on some nefarious venture. There's nothing inherently illegal or wrong with partnering with Russians, even sketchy Russians. Even, in this case, a Russian immigrant tied to the mob. Some people know a lot of teachers, plumbers, firefighters, and other people just know a lot of mobsters. And what's legal and what isn't all depends on the deal. Deals are what Congress and Mueller are putting under the microscope. We're looking at the people. Yes, we're real people persons, Pat and I. We just love people, sketchy people especially. When last we left Felix Sater, he had served time for stabbing a guy in the face in a New York bar. With a broken margarita glass, you get style points for that. Felix had been popped for his role in a mobbed-up stock swindle that fleeced thousands of investors, including Holocaust survivors. He had talked his way into turning international snitch for the Department of Justice. He was spying on U.S. mobsters, possibly Russian mobsters, and very likely terrorists. Former U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch said he was crucial to national security. Ask not what your federal prosecutor can do for you. Ask what you can do for your federal prosecutor. So the feds made word of Felix's crimes go away, and nobody outside that little circle knew about the swindle or his mob ties. The Department of Justice worked overtime to keep his background secret more than a decade after the $40 million crime he had copped a plea to. Even now, a chunk of the court files remain sealed. All of that secrecy allowed Felix to do big financial deals with big names, names like Donald Trump. Who doesn't drink margaritas? 
A lot of news stories are focused on Felix's role in Trump Soho. That's partly because Soho was heavily marketed to Russians with big money. Slick Russian language brochures feature Ivanka Trump in a cocktail dress looking out over the New York skyline. Trump Soho even had a sales office in Moscow. Sales were sluggish, but Donald Jr. said money poured in from Russia. Through his company, Bayrock, Felix was a partner in the skyscraper. So was the Sapir organization, the company owned by Tamir Sapir. He's the father of the bride at a Mar-a-Lago wedding we talked about back in episode one. Was Trump Soho the only business Trump did with Felix and the father of the bride? Not at all. Trump Soho was just one of a bundle of proposed projects involving Trump, Sapir, and Sater. And as we have said before, everything interesting or strange in the world eventually comes to South Florida. And sure enough, one of those projects was Trump International Hotel and Tower in Fort Lauderdale. There's a Trump International Hotel and Tower in Fort Lauderdale? Never heard of it. And it's not like a Trump property to fly under the radar. Oh, it didn't fly under the radar. It never got off the ground. A subterranean hotel? More like a kaput hotel. Which makes sense if you were in the middle of the Florida housing market in late 2005. But Trump was showing no fear. Now, we only know any of what we are about to tell you next because some poor reporter at Broward New Times sacrificed a Thursday night to be eaten up by noceums at the Bonnet House when the Donald and Don Jr. rolled up to announce the project. And I just want to say thank you, Trevor Aronson. I'm guessing this was done in Donald Trump's trademark, self-deprecating way, full of understated modesty and measured expectations. Define understated. The arrival of the Trumps was preceded by Wycliffe Jean. Wycliffe Jean, the Haitian-American rapper? The very same, who once paused singing long enough to run for president of Haiti. He pulls up in his Mercedes-Benz Maybach and strolls the red carpet, sporting what the reporter described as an expensive black suit plus pink and black striped tie. But we are reporters on reporter salaries, and you cannot trust us to confirm what an expensive suit looks like. Then comes Donald Trump and son in a dark limo. Sounds like a bunch of people trying too hard to impress. You know, just as an aside, I cannot think of an odder place to announce a 24-story glass and steel beachside condo project. Bonnet House is low-key old Florida, a historic building not far from a slow-moving water element, or, as we used to call it in Louisiana, a swamp thing. Well, maybe the Cracker Barrel was booked for that night. But that night, Bonnet House was putting on the Ritz. There were lots of Trumpian words going around. Opulence, landmark, magnificent, super luxurious. What's the Trump word for empty hyperbola? At the time, those descriptions were being applied to what was pretty much a piece of dirt. But when finished, a 2,000-square-foot condo was expected to go for about $2.4 million. Insert your own superlatives here. Diamond cufflinks and a six-figure commission were being offered to the first real estate agent to sell three units. Ah, boy, they were working this one really hard. And yet, there may not have been that many left to sell. A very, very, very blonde USSR immigrant who worked for Bayrock said 209 units had already been snapped up. Maybe that's why everyone was dancing. Mr. Jean wrote a song just for the occasion, and the reporter said Donald Trump was nodding his head to the rhythm. 
Uh, you don't happen to have the lyrics to this Wycliffe John song made especially for Donald Trump, do you? Because maybe I can put them to the accordion. Why, yes, Frank. Yes, I do. Here goes. <clears throat> I ain't hard to find. I'm at the Trump International in Fort Lauderdale. Yo, I landed in Fort Lauderdale. I gave Donald Trump a call. He said, Wycliffe, no problem. They gave me a suite. Man, it was expensive. But I had the money, man. It feels good to me. Wow, such lyricism. I'll, I'll try to do my best with it. Okay, let's see. Here goes. <clears throat> I ain't hard to find. I'm at the Trump International in Fort Lauderdale. Yo, I landed in Fort Lauderdale and I gave Donald Trump a call. He said, Wycliffe, no problem. They gave me a suite. I said, man, it was expensive. But I had the money, man. It feels good to me. So now I'm riding this silly song. Cause I don't want to upset those scary Russian dudes. And Donald Trump, he promised me some diamond cufflinks. No problem. Yo. Wycliffe Sean's song that night was probably the last beautiful music anyone made about the Trump project. A lot of people had slapped down fat deposits totaling about $7.7 million. They came from New York and Canada and Chicago and Rhode Island and California and Texas and Maryland and Venezuela. Many later said they were dazzled by the Trump name. That's why they were willing to pay roughly $1,100 a square foot for their piece of a little palace by the sea. And then, before any of them could move in, it flopped. So what happened to the investors, to all those people who were lured by the elaborate sales pitch? Well, they wanted their money back, of course, but they wanted more. They wanted punitive damages from Trump. Punitive damages? That would mean that Trump had deceived them somehow. Where does salesmanship end and deceit begin? The suit argues it's when you say things that are demonstrably untrue. You see, Trump and Bayrock and the other development partners kept saying Trump was the project developer. He would describe it as my latest development, a signature Trump development, my newest development, the most luxurious experience I have created. I have this image of Trump drafting floor plans and poring over blueprints with his hand-picked architects. Well, that might be true if he actually was the developer. But in 2009, when the project was just about to implode, the Trump organization said, eh, not so much. He was just licensing his name. And Trump argued one partner hadn't lived up to the promises of investing enough money to create Trump-level quality. So he opted out. That sounds like leaving the scene of an accident. The would-be buyers were also not happy to learn that Felix was in the picture. It was always clear that Bayrock was a Trump partner, but in court filings, angry investors suing Trump pointed out that Felix's name had never been uttered. And even if his name got mentioned, they didn't know about the $40 million stock scam in Felix's background. In their suit, they said that if they had known about Felix, they never would have bought the Lauderdale condos. Can't blame them. Of course, the Department of Justice had for years made sure no one knew Felix had a role in the scam and organized crime and some murky ties to the Russian mob. The secrecy meant Felix could continue snitching for the feds and the mobsters and terrorists he was snitching on would not know what he was up to. Pretty important. 
but it also meant those future condo buyers wouldn't know about Felix either and would give his company's project their millions of dollars without a second thought. They said Trump should have told them. I don't know what made them think that was a possibility. Trump's never been much of a full disclosure kind of guy. Trump was eventually dropped from the case and the suit was settled. But before it was, the future president's memory of Felix took a holiday. Felix, Felix Sater. Where have I heard that name before? Also, Trump comforted the spurned investors in a way that reminds me a lot of the time he sued Deutsche Bank, essentially for being so careless as to lend him money in tough times. We talked about that in Bank on It, our fourth episode. In this case, Trump said would-be buyers who are now suing him should thank their lucky stars the project flopped. The prices they agreed to pay were too high. He called them astronomical. And so he said, if they had been able to close on the sale as real estate prices fell, they would have been left owing much, much more than the condo was worth for years to come. That's why I don't understand about this lawsuit, he said. They got very lucky they didn't close on their units. So basically he was saying, the original deal I was trying to sell you was a bigger screw job than the hosing you took when it collapsed. Trump also had some interesting things to say about Felix in a deposition. Trump defended Felix repeatedly. Take the time Felix attacked a guy with a sawed-off margarita glass. The guy got 110 stitches. Felix got prison time. Trump, though, seemed to shrug it off. He said a lot of people get into barroom fights. He said he had never heard stories that Felix was involved in a mobbed-up stock fraud. He said he only vaguely remembered being interviewed and quoted by the New York Times in a 2007 story on Felix's role in the fraud. Six times, he volunteered that he did not believe Felix was a member of the Mafia. Three times, he suggested that whatever swindle Felix had been linked to couldn't have been too bad. After all, the Department of Justice had gone to great lengths to keep it secret, he pointed out, and he said, Sounds like he's pretty close to the federal government to me. But then, after repeatedly defending the heck out of him, Trump said he didn't really know Felix at all. He doubted he would recognize him if he were sitting in the same room. Maybe Trump was just forgetful. You know, it's hard to keep track of all these Russians. I forget names, too, and faces, but this is an odd memory loss. It's not just that there are pictures and pictures of Trump and Felix. It's not just that Felix held himself out to be a senior advisor to the Trump Organization. He had the business card to prove it. It's not just that Felix reportedly told Michael Cohen he had arranged for Ivanka to sit in Vladimir Putin's desk chair, or that he also emailed Cohen, I will get Putin on this program and we will get Donald elected, or that he was writing those emails while the Department of Justice was in its second decade of keeping the lid on specifics of Felix's crimes and connections. No. What might have jogged Trump's memory, I know it would have jogged mine, was a shared big money moment. It was Felix who helped persuade an Iceland firm to loan $50 million for the Trump Lauderdale project, as well as Trump Soho and a Phoenix deal. That sounds like way too many connections and too many dollars to forget. I hate to say this, Pat, but this may be the first time that Donald Trump hasn't been absolutely candid about something. Well, Felix is going to be testifying before Congress soon, so he's going to get a chance at being candid, too. We may be circling back to Felix with an update. But one final thing in our Felix files. 
We dangled the mystery of a photo with Felix sitting next to MSNBC's Rachel Maddow. Listen to the space. Maddow has been relentlessly dissecting every nook and cranny of all things Russian since 2017, which is why we nearly fainted from the irony of it all when she showed up on Felix's Twitter feed. Now, we've kept you waiting in suspense as to why the two would be rubbing elbows. The suspense is over. And the explanation is, we don't have a clue. We've asked. MSNBC's not talking. And I have to say, I'm used to getting no comments and being ignored by corporations and elected officials and folks facing jail time. But my brethren in the press? My heart is broken. However, we also found a picture of Felix with Bill Clinton, so maybe we'll have better luck at getting an explanation for that one. In the meantime, there's been a lot of strong, illuminating reporting on Felix, the Iceland loan, the Lauderdale project, and much, much more. There are links to several stories and source documents on our website at dancingoligarchs.com. Until then, we're interested in what you think and what questions you might have. We'll try and answer them. Just email us at dancingoligarchs at gmail.com. And finally, if you've enjoyed the podcast, leave a review wherever you download your podcast. It helps listeners find our stories and, of course, Frank's beautiful music. Take us out, Frank.